This is the last chapel of the year. You guys made it. Uh, I think we started this year with a Johnny Cash quote, so we're going to start the final chapel of the year with a Jack White quote. So can we hit this? I hope you guys have seen this. creativity and art one man against the world in one song that's my favorite song still is uh, became my favorite song the first time I heard it, and <laughs> still is. I heard everything disappearing. It didn't matter that he was clapping off time. It didn't matter that there was no instruments being played. All that mattered was the, uh, the attitude of the song. Jack White is a, uh, a lover of music. And he didn't know that he was seeking that song, but when he heard it, he knew deep down that that was it. And it spoke to him in a powerful and unique way. Um, sorry, I'm out of order here. Um, what I wanted to talk about this morning comes from something along those lines. Um, the last... Seems fitting for the last chapel, right? <laughs> Hold on, I'm gonna get this. That's the end, all right. All right, I hope I know what I'm talking about here. Uh, <clears throat> so in the last, um, last few months or so, I've met uh, a few people who have reminded me of some things that, that I hadn't forgotten, but that I needed to be reminded of. Um, I'm convinced that we, as, as image bearers of God, that, that being image bearers pushes far deeper into who we are and into how it impacts us than we're sometimes aware of. Um, we know that we create because we are image bearers of the Creator. Um, but I think we also seek as image bearers of the Creator. We are always in a constant state of seeking. And what we seek may differ, but we bear the image of the one who seeks. 
who seeks us and who comes after us and wants to have relationship, restore us into right relationship with him. The thing about God-seeking, God-seeking is perfect and good and right and always pure and true. Ours, on the other hand, is not. And as we seek, our seeking can oftentimes be misguided. It can be misdirected. It, it can be complex and nuanced. Um, I met uh, recently a couple of guys that, that made me think about seeking and seeking the Lord. Um, one of them was a guy that, that I met for the first time. He's a former MMA world champion Draka fighter. Big, massive man. Um, and he just, he just speaks scripture. He's got so much scripture memorized. And, and he memorizes because he loves God's word and he loves God. And I met another, I, I found out that a friend of mine that I've known for a while, I didn't know this, goes to bed at 9 o'clock every night and gets up at 3.45 in the morning and spends time um, praying and in God's word and uh, talking about how hard it is to do that and how much discipline it takes and how every single morning his first prayer is, Lord, help me put my feet on the floor. They're seeking something, and I think we're all always seeking. But what are we seeking? I think sometimes the thing that we think we're seeking is not what we're actually seeking. Um, struck by this truth, um, and... and it's just illustrates it so well, and, and I'm, I'm afraid it's a little bit, um, uh, it's a little bit hard, but it's a, it's a truth. Um, when researchers have done research on men viewing pornography, they find that the thing that they focus on more than anything else when they're viewing pornography is not what you would expect. They focus on the face of the woman. In her eyes. That makes me so sad. Because they're seeking something that's so different than what they think they're seeking. So we seek because we're image bearers of the seeker and image bearers of the creator. Sorry, I didn't see that coming. Um, but, so we have to ask, what are we going to seek? What, as, as believers, as followers of Jesus, what is it that we're going to seek? Because we're going to seek, we're going to find. But we need to be seeking and finding the right things. Um, in Matthew chapter 6, uh, Jesus tells us that there are two things um, that can sort of grab our hearts and grab our minds and cause us to worry and cause us to be anxious. Things that can grab our, our, our lives and get turned into priorities for us, but they're misplaced. When we come into Matthew chapter 6, he's, uh, he's been talking about the fact that we can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money and the love of money. You can only serve one master. In the same way, we have to choose who we're going uh, to seek. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. And this first of the places that Jesus is talking about, the first place of warning, he says, don't worry. And when Jesus talks about worrying, he's not talking about um, don't just worry. He's talking about anxiety. Don't be gripped by anxiety. 
Don't be gripped by this thing that makes you put something as the number one priority in your life. And he's talking about here about your life, about eating and about drinking. And he's not talking about those things alone. He's not talking about just food and drink. He's talking about provision. He's talking about the fact that we can tend to worry about having enough provided for us that we might live. He's talking about daily bread. He's talking about sustenance. And sustenance is a good thing, and it's a fair thing to seek. But again, he's not talking about just sustenance. He's talking about being anxious about having provision that we might live. And here's where it gets wonky. Provision tends to get convoluted when we start to redefine what living actually is. For most people, living is not simply a matter of continuing to wake up and live another day. Living becomes euphemistic for how we want to live, what we want to have, what we want to be able to do, where we want to be able to go, the types of food that we feel we deserve to eat. And so we begin to confuse want and need. We begin to confuse daily bread for a thousand loaves of bread. And it makes us do irrational things. It makes us believe we need things that are truly insane. Example, when I was in college, my final uh, year of college, I needed like a one credit class. So I took a class called Fish Kansas. Um, where we went, we learned about fishing, and then we went out and we went fishing. Um, I fished a lot as a kid, and there was probably a decade or so where I didn't fish. So I went out in this little farm pond up near uh, the college, um, kind of treaded through the weeds, dug out an old fishing pole, bought some new lures, and was flipping topwaters out on this farm pond and, and, and watching these massive largemouth come up and crush them. Sun's going down, it's just epically beautiful. Well, I decided that I was, again, a fisherman. So, just been married to Sandy for a little while, went home and started flipping through Cabela's and Bass Pro Shop's catalogs. And I would be ashamed if I could see the number of hours, like up there, how many hours I spent doing this. But going through, and I ended up making list after list of all of the different types of lures I would need to be a successful bass fisherman. Um, what types of lures I would need for topwater, what, what types of soft lures I would need to fish in, in the weeds, um, what lures I would need for different visibility of different water visibility, what deep water lures. The reality is I lived by a farm pond. Like, I didn't need any of this. But I convinced myself that it was a need because I was going to fish. That was irrational. It was a massive waste of time. But I really believed I needed those things. And we believe that we need to have more and more and more to ensure that we will be able to live, and by living, really live, right? We think we need to have and have and have and store up so that this life that we picture as the life that we want to have, we're able to have. And we know that it's fragile and fleeting, so we grasp even tighter after it. So we seek to have above all else, and it causes anxiety, and it breeds worry, and it is exactly what Jesus tells us we're not supposed to do. I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, or what you'll drink. Then he moves on to the second warning. This warning is more, it's about our body, about what we'll wear. 
What we'll wear is concerned at its most fundamental level with having clothing to protect our bodies, right? To have shoes so we can walk on hot ground and won't get thorns and pebbles in our feet. To have shirts and pants so that we can be protected from the elements, from the rain, and from the sun. But that concern, again, a healthy concern, begins to morph when clothes and clothing becomes less about protection and more about expression and about image. And those things are not bad. I think there are awesome theologies of fashion, and I think we should talk about that and read about theologies of fashion. But it can lead us into a trap of worry and anxiety, of misplaced priority as we believe that we need, not simply want, more and more and more. I'll give you an example. And this may or may not be personal or autobiographical, if you will. We need flip-flops for summer around the house, slightly nicer flip-flops if we want to wear them out, flip-flops that we might be able to wear to church if we're so inclined, tennis shoes for running, others for basketball, others for wearing casually. We need boots for working in the yard, boots for work casual, boots that we could also wear to work. We need shoes because you can't just have boots. You need Oxfords, you need shoes that you can uh, wear somewhat casually, like with a pair of, of raw denim jeans, but you also need shoes that you could wear to work that aren't too dressy, but then you need like kind of bomb shoes too that you can wear like when you really need to put the shoes on. But then once you get them all, you probably need different colors of said shoes. Um, right? See where it goes? I see where it goes. I know where it's gone. Um, we watch protection from elements get trumped by protection regarding how we're seen, which gets twisted by a convoluted sense of need, and we're left again confused by want and need and provision and protection, but it's all vanity. Jesus uses two corrective illustrations, um, and he uses them from creation. First, birds. Birds do not worry about the future. They feel no compulsion to store away their food to be safe and provided for, to live the type of lives that they want to live, and they want to live some pretty sweet, flying-around-the-world lives. God still provides for them. Second, God clothes flowers in splendor and beauty. And if you don't stop and look at flowers enough, do, because you should, but they don't stress about what they're going to look like. And then Jesus says, you are more valuable than either. You are the apex of creation. When everything was created, you were last, and you were given dominion, and you reflect me. You are my image bearers. All of the worry in the world will not add a single minute to any of your lives. So don't worry. Don't be anxious about these things. Don't give them a place of priority in your hearts and your minds. That's what people who don't know their creator and provider do. Instead, there's something that serves, and this is a, an awesome concept, and it's one that I'm just now really digging into, uh, thanks to John Wiley, that serves as an expulsive power that pushes out the anxiety and the worry. The expulsive power of good and true affections the expulsive power of that which we should be focused on. And here's what Jesus says. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, 
and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all things will be given to you. Do you hear that promise? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He's telling us what we should actually seek with our lives. He says, first, seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is the kingdom that on earth reflects heaven. The kingdom of God where we die to self, where we care more about others. We're not concerned with grasping that which we can have and have and have so we can live. Instead, we give it away and we die so that we might actually live. It writes the definition of what truly living is. Seek his kingdom and seek his righteousness. With clothes, you put the clothes on your body, right? They change you outside. They protect you from elements. But God's righteousness, God's righteousness, when we put it on, changes us internally, protecting us from destruction and transforming us to be more like Jesus himself. Clothed with what? Not dapper duds, but clothed with humility and righteousness godliness, and servanthood. The bottom line is that in order to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, you must be seeking him. Those two things, his kingdom and his righteousness, they can't be parceled out. They can't be sought apart from seeking the one to whom they belong. So that uh, Jack White quote, that section, um, is from a documentary called It Might Get Loud. It's a documentary that features Jack White, uh, The Edge from U2, and Jimmy Page, the guitarist from Led Zeppelin. Um, fantastic documentary where they talk about music and they talk about passion, and um, it's, it's really, truly wonderful. But as they're talking, um, and as it's going through the documentary, The Edge, um, guitarist for U2, right? We find out that he built his first electric guitar by hand with his brother. They carved the neck, they carved the body, they wound the magnets, they put it all together, they made an electric guitar. And Edge knew at the time he wasn't much of a musician. But he heard these bands. He heard these bands like The Clash, and he heard The Cramps, and he realized, okay, I may not be the best musician in the world, but I need to be totally committed. And that's something that I can do. I can be totally and utterly committed. And many of us, if we're being honest, are not totally committed to seeking God. We have not yet decided who we are or what we want to be. We identify as a Christian, but we haven't yet decided, to borrow from Frank Brock, to be a disciple. We haven't decided to actually be followers. Edge was totally committed to being a guitar player. He sought that in every way that he knew how. And that must, it has to be our relationship with God. My daughter Flannery um, is 15. We got her a drum kit for Christmas, which some parents may question um, our sanity. But we did. We got her a full drum kit. And she may want to identify as a drummer. 
But if she doesn't practice, if she isn't totally committed, if she doesn't seek to know her craft, she will always feel the discrepancy and the frustration of the disconnect between the desire to be a drummer and not actually being a drummer. The Christian life is that way. If you say you're a Christian but you're not seeking Christ, you will feel a frustration and a level of discord that will unsettle you at the very deepest levels of who you are as a person. And for some reason, I think, it's, I think the intentions and the motives are good. So much of Christian culture tries to tell us and tries to convince us that this can be done easily. Right? That five minutes a day doing this, ten minutes a day doing this, reading this book, reading that book. But it's not easy. Seeking God is not easy. Seeking God takes discipline. And it takes work. And it takes commitment. It takes a heart that won't be satisfied doing anything else. Hebrews calls us. It says, lay aside every weight. Lay aside every sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and protector of our faith. Run with endurance because it is a long hard, glorious, beautiful, painful, joyful race. So run it with endurance. We talk about that lie that people want us to believe it can be easy. Right? Talk about being created in the image of God and being image bearers. I want to close by, by pulling us back. By pulling us back to creation and Eve's fall. Because I think Eve's fall serves as a reminder and a warning to us um, as well. A question that we would be right to ask is if Eve had all of this, right? If Eve had communion with God, provision from God, protection from God, how on earth was she tempted? She had it all. Eve was tempted to believe that there was more and that the more existed beyond God. And it plays on a truth. There, there was more and there is more, but the more is from, not apart or beyond God. There is more, but it is from, not apart from God. Eve did not trust God's future blessings. He didn't trust what God was going to give, nor did she rightly value what she had already received. In the same way that we, now, today, in our lives, might be tempted, we might be tempted to devalue what we have access to, to devalue and not trust and believe in what God is going to bring to us in the future. The way that happens, it's very simple. It's to not be seeking the one who extends with open hands to us all the time. But here's the beauty. Here, here's the amazingly good news of this, right? We're called to seek a God who does not pull himself back, who's not shrouded, who's not seeking to make it... We're called to seek a God who continues to seek us. Not with just creation and its call to His glory, 
but he calls us from our very hearts by his Holy Spirit that indwells within us. He calls us by convicting, by exhorting, by calling out and drawing us into communion with him. It is the reason that we will never rest until we are resting in him. We just can't, and you won't. You will never know peace. You will never know rest. You will never know provision, protection, joy, until you're finding those things in him. Jesus sums all of this up very simply. He says, follow me. Follow me. Those two words that encompass all of this, that encompass the entire Christian life. But I want to encourage you as you get ready for summer, some of you as you get ready to leave Covenant College, um, seek God. Seek Jesus. Be wholeheartedly committed to him as your first and foremost priority. And think about what that means for your life. You're going to be a person who memorizes whole books of the Bible because you want God's word dwelling inside of you. Are you going to be a person who decides, you know what? I'm, I'm a wreck after 9 o'clock at night anyway. Nothing good ever happens then. I'm going to start going to bed at 9. I'm going to get up at 4, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to take discipline. But I'm going to get up, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to read God's Word, and I'm going to see what God does in and through me. Don't, don't be, just don't believe the lies that our culture, even some of our Christian culture tells us. We're called to be followers and pray and ask God what that means, how to do that as an individual and how to do it in community. Because this is life, right? This is it. And you will hit those times where you realize you don't have the answers, you are finite, you can't do it on your own. There's only one place to go, to seek the one who has sought you. That's my prayer. My prayer is that that is music to your hearts, music to your ears. Let's pray. Our dearest Lord Jesus, you've come to save us, to provide for us, to protect us, to know us, to bring us into relationship with you. And I pray, Father, that by the Holy Spirit you would call us, exhort us, challenge us, you would not let us rest until we're seeking you. Make us able by your power, we pray. Lord, I ask that as we come to finals, we come to the end of the semester, you'll be gracious to the students, the faculty, and staff. And that in the midst of what might seem crazy, they would know your presence, we would know your peace, and that we would be seeking you. Be with us, we pray, in Jesus' mighty name, and through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.